I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 4. As we celebrate and remember what our Lord Jesus has done for us this morning, and as we partake of the Lord's table, I was drawn to this passage in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, that is a very clear and powerful declaration of the role of our Savior Jesus as our great high priest. He is in heaven right now where he intercedes for us as his people. And when we come and we partake of this meal, of this bread and of this cup, it is a tangible physical reminder to us of the reality that Jesus lives. That he did come in flesh and blood. That the divine Son of God took on flesh and lived among us. And we beheld his glory. The only begotten of the Father, he came and lived, tabernacled among us. And he lived a life of truth and righteousness and goodness. He lived a life of compassion and healing and being merciful to people. He lived a life of complete and pure holiness, completely conquering every sin and every temptation to sin. He gave himself up to the death of the cross, willingly, of his own accord, in full harmony with the will of the Father and the will of the Spirit. And he gave himself up as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. Went to the cross, died, shed his blood, was buried. And then on the third day, in fulfillment of his own word and in fulfillment of scripture, he rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered our adversary, the devil. And in rising from death, he proved that his sacrifice was good. His sacrifice was pure, unspotted, accepted before our Father. And then he ascended into heaven where the writer of Hebrews tells us that he offered in the heavenly sanctuary the blood of his atonement for our sins, that we might be forgiven, that we might be cleansed, that we might be the children of God. And even now, having ascended to the right hand of God, he remains there alive, the risen son of God. He is our current and forever mediator and intercessor before the presence of God. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of these truths in these verses. And then after reminding us of these truths, he calls on us for a response. And I think that is just, that's a very helpful and worshipful way for us to gather around the Lord's table today. So let's consider what the writer of Hebrews, first of all, reminds us of, and then the response that he calls us to. Hebrews 4, 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let's pray together. Gracious and merciful Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of approaching your throne of grace. We thank you that we can come seeking mercy, seeking grace, seeking help in our time of need. We thank you that we have our great high priest, our holy and perfect mediator, standing there for us, pleading our cause, and allowing us to be welcomed into your holy presence. So, Father, we come confidently, but yet knowing that we can only come so in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us today as we focus on your word, as we, as we remind ourselves of the glorious role that our Savior Jesus fulfills as our high priest. Lord, may you be honored today as we gather around your word, as we gather around your table, and may our mind, may our hearts be fully focused on you, your son and your spirit. We pray this through Christ. Amen. So first of all, the writer of Hebrews presents a reminder to us. And it is a reminder that we have a great high priest. And so I just want to express and try to lay out the different aspects of Jesus' priesthood that the writer of Hebrews emphasizes for us. And so he reminds us that we have a high priest. And the first thing that he tells us about our high priest is that he is great. He is great. And when you first come across this phrase in verse number 14, it's important to understand that there are not necessarily here two parallel adjectives modifying priest. So it's not like he is saying we have a great and a high priest. What he's saying is high priest is a person, a role. That is one unit of thought. And Jesus as high priest is great in that role as high priest. What is he referring back to? He's referring back to the Old Testament. He's referring to the role in Israelite society that Aaron was the first to fulfill. Aaron was chosen, Moses' brother. He was chosen to be the first high priest. He was of the tribe of Levi, the tribe that was chosen by God to stand as the mediators, as the intercessors between the Israelite people and God. The Levite tribe to serve in the tabernacle and then later in the temple to serve as singers, to serve as uh, helpers, servants in the, uh, in the tabernacle. And among the Levites then were a special family of priests who would serve as the mediators between God and his people. They would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. They would offer prayers to God on behalf of the people. They would serve as the go-betweens, the intercessors, the mediators between God and his chosen covenant people. But then, among those priests who offered sacrifices and who served in the, the temple, in the tabernacle, there was one 
who was referred to as the high priest. He was the chief priest, and he was the one who had the lone responsibility once a year on the Day of Atonement to go into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and to offer a sacrifice for the sins of all the people, the whole community of Israel. And before he could do that, he had to make a special sacrifice for himself to consecrate himself to the role that he was about to fulfill. And then having consecrated himself, he offered a sacrifice and then took the blood of that sacrifice into the most holy place in which he would sprinkle on the altar, on the the Ark of the Covenant, on what's called the mercy seat, on the table of the Ark of the Covenant, over which two cherubim were were sculpted to overlook that that seat, that, that covenant seat where the mercy or the blood was sprinkled. He would do that once a year, and he would do that for the sins of the people. And this description of Jesus is drawing on that great tradition, on that role in Israelite society. And what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us of here is that Jesus is our high priest. So he is our mediator between God and man. Paul tells us that explicitly in 1 Timothy, doesn't he? That there is one mediator between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. And so Jesus is our mediator, and so he fulfills for us this role as our high priest. But what he's telling us here is that Jesus is not just any high priest. He is the great one. He is the great high priest. In other words, what he's doing here is he is lifting up Jesus over and above every other high priest who has ever fulfilled that role. Whether it be Aaron or any other in his line who fulfilled that role as high priest, Jesus is greater. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing much throughout this whole letter is he is showing us how how Jesus is greater than. He's greater than Moses. He is a greater lawgiver than Moses. He is a greater priest, high priest, than Aaron. And so he is our great high priest in comparison to all the others. And then he says that our great high priest has ascended into heaven. He has ascended into heaven. And I think what the writer of Hebrews is intending for us to understand by that phrase that Jesus has ascended into heaven is not only his victory over death, not only his preeminence over all powers and authorities, which is what we normally associate in scripture with Jesus rising from the dead and then ascending to heaven. His ascension into heaven communicates the fact that he did conquer death. His ascension into heaven at the right hand of the Father does communicate the fact that he is the Lord over all powers and principalities and authorities. But in Hebrews specifically, when it talks about Jesus passing through the heavens, into the heavens, it is referring to his role specifically as priest. 
In fact, later on, he is going to get more specific about the role of high priest in this letter to the Hebrews. And he's going to tell us that Jesus, very much like the high priest, would go behind the veil and offer the blood on the Ark of the Covenant for the sins of the people. Jesus did that for us when he ascended into heaven. So he ascended into heaven and in a spiritual sense went behind the veil, went into the most holy place, and in a spiritual sense offered up for us his atoning blood in the presence of God. And so this this phrase, he has ascended into heaven, means that he has taken his place inside the most holy sanctuary where he is offering for us the blood that atones for our sins. Now here's the amazing thing about the comparison with Jesus and other high priests is that Jesus is not offering the blood of a bull or a lamb. He's offering his own blood, isn't he? And so in the case of Jesus, he is not only the priest, he's also the lamb. He's both the sacrifice and the priest who offers the sacrifice on our behalf. And so having offered the sacrifice on the cross... He now rises again as the priest and takes the blood from the sacrifice into the holy presence of God and offers it on our behalf where he stands as our mediator. So he is our great high priest. He is our ascended or exalted high priest. Our priest is Jesus, a savior. He specifically mentions him by name so that there is no misunderstanding about who our high priest is. But in mentioning his name, there is also significance attached to that name, isn't there? Because Matthew one twenty one reminds us that Joseph and Mary were to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is another form, essentially, of the Hebrew name Joshua, or of Hosea even, Hosea. It is Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And so Jesus is our high priest. He is our exalted high priest. He is our great high priest. He is the one who saves us, delivers us from our sins. And not only that, he says he is the son of God. He's a great high priest. He's an exalted high priest. He is a saving high priest. He is a divine high priest. He's the son of God. He is like no other high priest who has ever served. Later in Hebrews, he's going to show us some comparisons and contrasts between Jesus and other high priests. In the case of Aaron and the other high priests, they died, didn't they? They died. They could not last forever. In the case of Aaron and the other high priests, they sinned. They were imperfect. They first had to make an offering for their own sin before they could even make an offering for the sins of the people. So they were imperfect. They were flawed. They were temporary high priests. But Jesus is the son of God, isn't he? 
He's the Son of God. He is the eternal divine Word who came down and took on flesh and dwelt among us. And as the eternal divine Word, His life is a perfect life. And He'll specifically remind us of that later when He says that Jesus conquered sin. So He is a perfect life. Not unlike all the other high priests, but also unlike all the other high priests, because he is God, he lives forever, doesn't he? He lives forever. And that's why Psalm 110, the psalm that we read earlier, describes Jesus the Messiah as a priest who will minister forever after the order of Melchizedek. Why after the order of Melchizedek? Well, he's, he's not one who, who receives it by line of succession like the priests in Aaron's line. He is a priest who receives it directly from the anointing of God. Also like Melchizedek, in Melchizedek's case in the book of Genesis, Melchizedek shows up and then he leaves, but there is never any beginning or any ending described of Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. And both Psalms and the writer of Hebrews draws on that that aspect of the story in order to show the point that there is no beginning or end of Jesus' priesthood. But he is an eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek because he's the son of God. He is the divine high priest. So he's great. He is the exalted high priest. He is the saving high priest. He is the divine high priest. And we see also in this passage that he is the empathetic high priest. He's empathetic to our weaknesses. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus came and took on flesh. And when this divine son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us, He was fully 100% human, wasn't he? So when we talk about Jesus in his person, we have to affirm the dual reality that he is 100% God and he is 100% man in the one person. So it's not like you can measure it out like a ratio. Like Jesus is 50% God, 50% man, or 70% God, 30% man. No, he is fully, completely divine, and he is fully, completely human in the one person. Some of that is hard for us to grasp, hard for us to understand. But the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that in his humanity, in his full humanity, he lived in this world just like us, and he suffered all of the difficulties that this world has to offer. All of it. All the hardships. Jesus probably got sick. He probably had a fever. There were times when he coughed. There were times when he was tired. There were times when he was exhausted. There were times when he was discouraged. There were times when he cried and he was in sorrow. There were, there were times when he was hurt and in physical pain. 
He endured all of those difficulties and sufferings of this world. And he also endured, like us, the temptations that are native to this fallen world. And even more than us, he faced the direct onslaught personally of the devil himself, didn't he? We face temptations every day. Most of the temptations that we face, they're just in the culture around us. They're in the environment around us. Some of the temptations that we face come out of our own minds and hearts. Jesus faced temptation directly face to face with the devil himself. And he won. He won. And here's the thing about him living that life in this world is because he lived that life in this world and experienced all the hardships of this world and even experienced temptation to the degree that he did, he understands exactly what we are going through. Exactly. Not in a, he read it in a book kind of way and understands it, but in a, he lived it kind of way and he understands it. He lived it. He knows what we're going through. And so therefore, he is empathetic toward our weaknesses, our physical weaknesses, the frailties, things that we struggle with in this world, even the temptations that we face, Jesus fully understands them, intellectually and experientially. And so therefore, he can serve with an empathetic and compassionate heart as our high priest. Isn't it helpful when there's a time of need, a time of hurt? It's helpful when you can talk to somebody who's, who's gone through it, doesn't it? It's helpful. When we, go to, when we go to Jesus and go through Jesus to the throne of grace, we go through one who has gone through it. He's experienced it. We know that he cares. And so he's an empathetic high priest. And... Lastly, as a part of the reminder that we have a high priest, the writer of Hebrews says he is a victorious high priest. He's victorious over sin because he faced every weakness, every difficulty, and yet he conquered, didn't he? Yet he was completely without sin. Completely without sin. And so the sacrifice that Jesus made for us was a flawless, spotless, unblemished sacrifice. Just like those lambs in the Old Testament had to be healthy, full, unspotted, unblemished lambs in order to be offered to God, Jesus completely fulfills that picture by being a holy and morally pure, sinless, spotless lamb offered up for us and for our salvation. And so we have a reminder of our great high priest. But then he calls on us to respond to that. And he calls on us specifically to have two responses to this truth, to the fact that Jesus is our great high priest. And the first response is this. We need to hold on to our faith. We need to hold on to our faith. He says, since we have a great high priest like this, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, he says, let us then hold firmly to the faith that we profess. 
Jesus' high priesthood enables us to persevere in our faith. Therefore, let us persevere in our faith. It is only by the high priesthood of Jesus that we are guaranteed our salvation and he causes us to persevere unto the end. Therefore, let us persevere unto the end, holding firmly to the faith that we profess. And here, the faith could mean the faith in the sense of the gospel, the doctrine, the truth that we confess and we profess. Let us hold on to that. But maybe also in a personal way, our faith, our trust, our reliance on Jesus as our Savior and High Priest. Let us hold firmly to Him. In other words, don't be distracted by the doubts and the skeptics and the uncertainties of this world. Don't be distracted or let off off path or led astray by those who question your faith or who want to undermine your faith. Don't be swayed by the devil who wants to bring uncertainties into your mind about the fact of whether or not you are forgiven before God. The devil wants to slander you. He wants to accuse you. He wants to bring doubts into your mind. This world full of skeptics wants to rain smoke and clouds over who Jesus is and who God is. But hold firmly. Hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And the second response is, let us draw near to God. So hold on to our faith. And then the second response that he encourages us with in light of who Jesus is as our high priest is to come. To come. And it's that aspect that I want us to focus on as we move into our time of celebrating the Lord's table this morning. Now we're going to have servants, deacons who are going to come and they're going to bring the elements to you. But in your heart, in your mind, I want you to think of it as I am drawing near to God. I am coming in response to this invitation from the writer of Hebrews to draw near to God. Let us then come before his throne of grace. Let us come before his presence. And I think sometimes when we read verse 16, we think of it only in terms of prayer. We think of it in terms of prayer, that because Jesus is interceding for us, we can go to God in prayer and we can find the help that we need. And certainly that is fully true that this definitely 100% applies to prayer and that we can come before God's presence and we can call out to him. We can do so confidently, not because of anything in us, but because of what Jesus is and what he has done for us. We can come in his name confidently, knowing that we'll receive mercy and grace and help from our loving father. So certainly prayer. But I think there's an aspect of this that also has to do with worship. Many, many times when we see this phrase, this wording used in the Bible to draw near or to approach, most often it's used in the context of worship. To come into the presence of God as his people, to draw near and to be in his presence, to seek his presence, to come and, and also in the context of Hebrews, as well as in some of the ways that this language is used in other places in Scripture, 
it still carries over into it this drawing near with sacrifice, with an offering of worship. But here's the glorious thing about drawing near to God in worship is that we need not bring another lamb because the final perfect lamb has already been offered. But we come with our lives, don't we? We come with our lives. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that then we should offer up our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And he says this is a a pleasing act of worship, an acceptable act of worship before God. So let us come not only in prayer, but let us come in worship. Let us come seeking help, expectation in time of need. So let us come in worship, let us come in prayer, and let us come with expectation. Because he says that we can have the confidence, we can have the expectation of receiving mercy and grace and help in time of need. May our great high priest be on our minds as we celebrate the Lord's table today. Let us not be guilty of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, of not discerning the body and blood of the Lord. But as we come to the table, as we partake of the bread and the cup, may we be very mindful of the Lord's body and his blood. And of the fact that now he has ascended into heaven where he is our high priest interceding for us. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. We thank you for the opportunity to draw near into your presence. We thank you that Jesus has paved the way for us by going first into the most holy place to offer on our behalf his perfect, infinite sacrifice for us. And now we may follow him and through him into your presence where we may find grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. Lord, as we're gathered here today to worship you, to sing your praises, to partake of this sacred meal, May our hearts and minds be fully on you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.